Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. So we do have two authors here tonight. The first author coming up will be Kim Young, and the second author coming up will be Amanda Ochter. Amanda actually has two books for sale this evening. This is her first book, The Glass Crib, and the second book, The Wishing Tomb. They'll both be available in the back. If you'd like them signed, just buy the book first. And then after the readings, and after we do a little Q&A, then uh, we'll set up a table here with a chair. You guys can line up, and we'll uh, have the author sign the book for you. Great. All right, so let's, uh, I'm going to actually give you both bios of both, of both poets that are coming up tonight, and then Kim will start, and then Amanda will go second, then we'll do a Q&A with both of the poets at the same time. Great. All right, Kim Young, she is the author of Night Radio and the winner of the 2011 Aga Shahid Ali Poetry Prize. She's also in the chapbook Divided Highway. She's also the founding editor, editor of Chaparral. I went on that site today, chaparralpoetry.net. Am I saying that right? That's a beautiful site. Uh, it's an online journal featuring poetry from Southern California, and her poems have appeared in Los Angeles Review, No Tell Motel, Pool, and elsewhere. And she holds an MA at Cal State University Northridge and an MFA at Bennington College, where she also received a Jane Kenyon sco scholarship in poetry. And Kim was born here in Los Angeles, and she lives here in Los Angeles. You can find her at chaparralpoetry.net. And then Amanda Ochter, she's here, and she is the founding editor of the Pebble Lake Review and also the author of The Glass Crib and the winner of the Zone 3 Press First Book Award for Poetry and also the chapbook Light Under Skin. Now, she has received awards and honors from the Bellevue Literary Review, Bomb Magazine, Breadloaf Writers Conference, the Crab Orchard Review, the Southern Indiana Review, the Mid-American Review, and she was a 2007 finalist for the Ruth Lilly Poetry Fellowship from the Poetry Foundation. She also holds an MFA from Bennington College. I'm seeing a correlation. <laughs> and she teaches creative writing and literature at Lone Star College. You can find Amanda at amanda-octor.com. So our first guest is Kim Young. So please welcome Kim Young. Hi, guys. Um, Thank you, Skylight and Christine, for hosting us. This is a great venue. And um, I just feel so grateful that all my friends have come out to share my work and this book. And um, I'm especially happy to be here reading with Amanda. So um, thank you all. This feels so nice and intimate and um, perfect, except for this big microphone in my face. <laughs> so um, all right. I. Um, had a really difficult week and a particularly difficult day yesterday. So I wanted to start with my, this poem called um, Blue Balls Revised because it sort of helps me get my feist back. And um, the only thing you need to know about this poem is that if you haven't seen the documentary Don't Look Back about Bob Dylan and you haven't 
you know, witnessed his bad assness in this documentary, you might miss the, <laughs> the opening um, image. Um, but other than that, you should be able to follow it, everything. Um, so here goes, Blue Balls Revised. I wanted my first time to be like that scene and Don't Look Back, when Dylan plays It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, and Donovan just looks at him. But I'd have to revise the summer I turned 14. In the new version, there's a circle of boys. My guy's a firecracker, a bet, a smack. He's my liquor cabinet, my close smell, a place my legs get to wrap. In the new version, I won't chicken out. I won't shave my head, puke off my skateboard, watch Saturday Night Live on acid. I didn't want to be a girl anymore. Not after I finally let him roll me over, months later, and just a little blood. I'd cut what he said to his friends about my little cup, my bed, me never speaking. Twenty years later, I still think sex is something tough, a breaking. So in this new version, I get to be Dylan. I get to drop into an empty pool, the sound of my skateboard, my can of Michelob, and I'm never afraid. Woo! <laughs> That's what I say to that. <laughs> All right. I needed to get that one off my chest. Um, so because um, I'm here in L.A., and I'm, the, par the poems are... R-rated, so <laughs> she warned, <laughs> warned the audience beforehand. Um, yeah, I wanted to read some of the the more LA poems. Um, so this one's called this. I, I mean, the valley is a part of LA, <laughs> despite what everyone you know may think. Um, this one's called "What We Learn at Valley High." The PE coaches teach us about sex. They corner me if a top is unzipped. They watch me spray Aquanet into my bangs. We can always jump for them or hit the loading dock fences and ditch six period for burgers and bong loads. Kurt Cobain isn't dead yet, but we light little fires for him during Spanish class. We're learning which little deaths come next. We're, do we're doing whippets in a truck before first period. Rebecca is puking in the F building toilet, her dad in jail for molesting her best friend. There's a fight on a quad. I'm holding on to my boyfriend's wallet chain. I'm walking into a kegger in Box Canyon. Manson's cave with an Indian face carved into sandstone looks down at us. I'm stepping out of a green Chevelle, zipping up my pants. Phil is jumping off a roof after selling bathtub speed to 12-year-olds. I can't see. Ten guys beat a man who cornered two girls in a vacant house next door. They piss on him afterwards. They make his right eye blind. When we come home, Lisa's mom is catching rain from her leaky roof into cookie sheets. Is he dead, she asks. Each of us falls onto a couch. There's the sound of drops hitting metal. And... Um, <laughs> This is one of my favorite poems to read because this is the poem that I wrote when my husband said to me, don't you ever write happy poems? <laughs> um, and so this is my version of a happy poem. <laughs> it's called, Was It Beautiful? And I am writing happy poems now, by the way. <laughs> Happier. Here is a subdivision west of Van Nuys Airport. Here is the spindle I hang from, this world, this head of grain. Here is a little dot on something so small, but tectonic in origin. Here are my papers. Here is the world with hepatitis C and a shadow, not unlike a cancer scare. Here is chicken in a paper bag, shiny hair falling out of a barrette. Here is the world with oatmeal in its beard and smoke on its breath. Was it beautiful? My world. The kids on my block played t-ball and Tetris. One accidentally shot a boy in the desert. We did a good job staying unsentimental. Was it beautiful? Was it instinct, commerce? It was the world. 
Here is that holy bone that connects spine to pelvis. Here is eagle rock, fireweed on the side of the freeway, a cul-de-sac guardrail, the earthquake of 94. We painted our faces by lantern light, washed in the hot water heater. Here is the LAPD, the Rodney King riots. Here is a crunch of dirty ice, some stolen steaks. You can buy them or not, says the world. Still, I remake it over and over again. Here is a six-bed crisis facility, a titanium heart valve, a castle built out of popsicle sticks. And I'm going to get, take a momentary drink of water. And this next one is called Sleight of Hand. I've fallen for the silt and turkey vultures, the Thai food and sleeper waves, Molotov cocktails and polystyrene, soap flakes and the CIA. The cop yesterday at a press conference holding up each moment, tear gas and battering ram and four black and whites in front of 7-Eleven. I want his hands that won't shake even though it's just a choreographed illusion, like a sword passing through a beautiful woman in a basket. The trick is her black feathered straps, her legs roped and spread eagle. I'm confessing my love for performance. I'm collecting mother of pearl and pictures of the sky, each curtsy and canary, a lover's hand I'm holding to the thigh. How can I not submit to this world? I lift my torn oyster veil every time. I take in the body dumps and bookmakers, the calling cards and ephedrine highs. I kneel down. I make this vagrant world mine. And this one is called abduction. There were stories before bed. <clears throat> my father with no book, my sister's black hair on the pillow, and two little girls just about your age. A story that unlocks the back door and jumps right out of the kidnapper's car. And he tells us that the girls ran, past the lot behind the movie house, the drive through dairy, a small vacant school with no tether balls. It's my turn to tell this story. Startling as a black bug, shiny as bolt cutters, brittle as a palm frond, just a fleck of blackness, and then none. This is just nostalgia. I know where the dishes go. I know how the story turns out. My sister doesn't jump out at the red light. How did father know? Besides, he was a cop. We ran track. It doesn't matter. You go for a drink or reach for the checkbook, and it moves around in there. Once, I found a beetle in a bite of whitefish. Once, there was a snake in the house that matched the color of the couch. I want you to imagine shiny black hair, something stuck in a tooth, a buckle, a shoe, a closet, a room. Imagine a close-up underwater, weightless, slowed. I want to tell the story now. And the girls ran into the water, past the shape of buckets, the undertow, the color, the sound, a plane pulling a long, fluttering sign. This one is called, I had my little post-its and like, I was going to read from the top and go down. <laughs> it didn't work out though. <laughs> I'm rifling through the book anyways, here we go. <laughs> this one's called Make Believe with the LAPD. One, two, three, four is how we timed how fast my sister and I could find night. 
How fast we'd outrun your big hands, the tough cords of our backs heaving inside the dark garage full of rifles and gasoline, the three of us laughing. You were our playtime intruder, your dark vice cop curls, your Fu Manchu. It was a game, a training. Are you afraid of the dark, you say? I'm seven and inside your arms. When they combed my sister for samples, her jacket and pubic hair, her shoes, her cuffs under her fingernails, step outside the car, you say, before coming in off the night shift with men and instructions buzzing up through a radio. You chewing a toothpick in the passenger seat of the black and white. Even you couldn't stop what nobody sees coming. You're calling in a plate number. So tired of this business rising out of static. It's uplifting stuff. <laughs> we're, let's see, we go down. We go down to the darkness, and then we take a turn. Don't worry, we'll come back. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> uh, this one's called Matching Terry Sweatsuits. This is not the earthquake of 94, not one of dad's nights, dad too drunk to drive home from the wedding and all the cousins with boxed wine and lavender bridesmaids dresses. It's not like that. You are a still form on the sofa and the music plays loud and if I hold your arm up, it won't fall. Dad is making margaritas. It's my birthday, remember, and you hear that wicked moon and how the dogs know there is a man in a hood, an Iranian man, know the neighbor, know the day workers at the door. We are falling down a hole, like when you were lost in the snow that winter. We made pears and called your name all afternoon. It was so cold and mom blamed somebody, the cabin owner or dad's laughed. And there was your hole, wet with snow melt. And it's not like when we found you quietly there. Our hands are holding onto each other's matching Terry sweatsuits. Green, remember? I didn't want mine. And we could have been so close. OK, so the next couple of poems um, are the how I spent my childhood, I call them the girls driving in cars poems. <laughs> and the first one is called Blacktop Girls. The girls pile into a Chevy and swoosh through a quiet night, kissing each other and holding tight to that straight gold line in the middle of the highway. The smell of wet ragweed and malt liquor, the night entering each girl like dark dye blossoming in water. Night after night, the girls pull stickers from each other's hair, sing to an old darkness, to a life that waits for them, like some slick gentleman lighting matches under a streetlight. He lifts a heavy backpack from one girl's shoulders, tucks the other girl's hair away from her eyes. The girls race toward him like an ambulance, the body waving goodbye, goodbye, the girls whispering, I love you into the night, as if the body knows only beauty, as if the body isn't just a stacked truck lumbering out of sight. That's one of those poems that you can only write in hindsight, <laughs> you know, like when you start to get older and you're like, wow, I'm not 17 anymore. <laughs> um, this one's called Divided Highway. I just want to make sure there's no major profanity in this one. Okay. Um, divided Highway. Over this asphalt, I let each cactus, each unfolding mile of dust, each pole, each turning worry become ash and light through a wide glass windshield. I'm not a barn owl or toy.
quarry pine. I'm not the crows or candy wrappers flying. I'm not going home to get my rifle. I'm singing, and my song is like laundry blowing on a line. Here I am, here I am. I'm driving 85. I'm eating bacon again. I'm not slowed by the high speeds at which we race toward that final dark suit, not just pressed and clean, but patiently waiting. I hold on to the steering wheel. I know exactly where I'm going. This isn't a poem I usually read, but I, I wanted to read it tonight. It's called How to Unmake a Father. Use two part bushmills and one part water. Use a full grown Fu Manchu. Lie down, Daddy. Rub his feet. Take his Richard Pryor cassettes, the Rambo VHS. Hide the metals from his armoire. Climb into his electric Chevy. Make a slit in the tint. Get him to drop his clean rifle out the car window. Squeeze his hand grips. Do you guys remember hand grips? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Squeeze his hand grip to make your fingers strong. Know which stolen luggage belongs to him. If you follow him like a cop on a vice beat, you'll know where daddy goes. You'll know he's got a wink just for you. A lean and a laugh that's half humiliated, half moonshine. And um, I've got three more poems to go, and this... This one is kind of in a different vein. It's called My Aunt Believes in Horses. My young aunt's hair is falling into piles of dust from the living. Her legs bent in a V. She scatters her pink cancer pills over the floorboards. The pills tell a story of medicine my aunt no longer believes. I kneel below her, just loose flowers placed in a row, her body like a holiday float instead of a woman. After she dies, my father places two pictures side by side. In one, a boy combs each tangle from my aunt's tough child hair. In the other, the old boy combs and combs, his tears falling like the beautiful lost hair we sweep into piles. Like the sound of wind through eucalyptus trees, my young aunt's pills have rolled to each corner of the room. My father is still gathering them, even with the late summer fire sending the horses galloping to the edge of a field behind the suburban street. This is the dust of the living. Piles on a floorboard, stories of medicine, a parade of timekeeping and intelligence. I keep marching. I tell stories my beautiful young aunt no longer believes. Pictures we place side by side. I kneel below the arrangements we eventually sweep into piles. I sweep and sweep, but the eucalyptus leaves keep blowing in through an open window, and my father is sending me to gather the horses. Outside is all dust, but the horses keep galloping. The beautiful dusk of the living is falling over me. I chase the horses who have never believed in anything but fire. This suburban street, my legs bent in a V, I scatter the stories in which we no longer believe. This body has grown so large, but I am the awkward woman who is small inside. Two pictures side by side, a body I make into a pile at the edge of this field. I am listening for my aunt through the eucalyptus leaves, a sweep, even a breath of her living. I will mother even the smallest fire. I'll send the stories galloping. And I think I'm just gonna read this last one. 
Um, it's called Come Bright Galaxy, and it's for my daughter, Annie Blue. Out of static, not fluid, her heartbeat rises through the audible wool of space. There's a quickening. There's the rain on the tin, on the timber world. Her cells explode like tiny golden kites popping over a dark cow pasture. Bright scraps for our epic. I'm waiting for the world to light up. Luminosity isn't just warmth or opened light, but a body of heat tethered to earth by gravity, which is ordinary. A woman will stare into pale strands of observable light, but this is a delicate moss, a simple swelling. The body is a work song. We are returning to this ordinary and dear world, these tiny blue flowers, this standard sediment. Thank you. Okay, everyone, and now please welcome Amy Ochter. Amanda Ochter. Thank you. Thank you, Skylight, and everybody for having us out. I'm so glad to be in LA again with my wonderful friend Kim, who, you know, if you haven't gathered, I went to grad school with, and who's giving me the floor on her and her study. And my brother is here with his wife and family, who I haven't seen in years, and my friend Nathan. So I'm very excited to be around all this warmness. So I'm going to be reading a few poems from my first book, The Glass Crib and followed up with my primary focus for being here, my second book, which just came out, which is called The Wishing Tomb. This is poem for the adoptive mother. When the caseworker opened the file and said, this will be difficult, did you imagine my whole fist around your finger? Did you hold the photograph and think of how small I was, my entire weight fitting into your palms? Difficult, your already busy life. Six kids, husband, and outgrown house. At 42, was there something in those papers that made you want to do it again? I want to remember your approach, your echo of sensible flats down the hospital corridor, the blue doll dress you took me home in, the plastic rattle, your Polaroid snap. How when you said to me years later, I knew when I saw you. I want to think of myself reaching for your bright mouth, your turquoise necklace, everything I could get my hands on. This is the bottom drawer. Tucked beneath my mother's shirts and camisoles, a paper bag of prayer cards, I find my brother's pajamas. I want to take them out, understand how she can spend an afternoon in an empty house with them, her at the table with a cup of tea, raising the sleeve to her cheek, her nose, thinking of him, how she kissed his stubbled cheek, closed each eyelid. I wonder if she wears them, or how often, if at night she slips into bed with the shirt, cradles him back into her. I unfold them on the bed for her to find, spread out as though he was still there, brushing his teeth, water running in the bathroom, a blue towel shook dry. Each arm uncrossed and flattened, the flannel pants draped over the bed, as though someone meant to wear them, but chose something else instead. And this next poem is called Offer It Up. And I was raised Catholic. And if any of you were raised Catholic and had Catholic mothers, your Catholic moms were always saying, offer it up to something all the time to offer it up. Um, and this is, this is based on that, the offer it up. I mean, for ridiculous things. This is offer it up. 
Offer it up, my mother says, from the receiver, the mailbox. Offer it up, the long line at the bank, the sleepless night. Each time I lock myself out of the house, offer it. For the door, I could not open the ruining rain, the flat tire, the burned tongue, the wine-stained dress. That, too, and the dark I am still afraid of, my glass-split foot, the splinter. The flood-swirled street, this yard of debris, offer. For the mother who gave me life, then left with her purse and car keys while I palmed the glass crib. The man who handed me a box of sweaters and photo albums then showed me the door. This, too. For my sister who almost died, my brother that did, that each time I felt the loss of a letter or a person, I could strike my knees to the floor and give it all back to the God who asked me to bear it. And the last poem from this book I'm going to read is actually the last poem. And this is called Bring Splendor. And it's based on a British legend where the tears of the crucified Christ turned into bees, um, which I thought was very creepy, but also very cool. So this is Bring Splendor. Made of dirt and pulse, the bodies flare. The flesh that forgives thorn, whip the striking hand. Made of eyelash, sun, the whole of the body transfigured. Drape of wing beats, dark storm, a trick of lighting. To which the air fills with living, with sugar, with revivescence. Go forth beauty, birds of blossom, sweetness. Made of sky, bring stingers, the form of tongues of fire. Bring dawn over stones, over the awakened heart. Bring splendor, the last rising breath. Every question of death, a desire. Go forth a field, a dizzying cloud. And to segue, the wishing tomb, I guess what you need to know off the bat, and I mean, you would get it, but... I'm going to tell you anyway, is this is a lyric history of New Orleans, which is something that I am interested in as a Gulf Coaster especially. Um, I'm not from New Orleans, in case you were asking, um, which I have been asked many times, but I am a Gulf Coaster. And um, my birth father's family um, were from New Orleans. Um, they were Italian immigrants that settled in New Orleans, um, so which is another layer. So I'm going to read from this book, and the first poem I'm going to read is American Plague, which is another word for yellow fever. And there were several um, yellow fever outbreaks um, in New Orleans especially, and it killed something like 18,000 people. American Plague, one, early stage. Everywhere water, night pushing its mouth into the humid sleeping bodies. Mosquitoes in the ears, eyelids bleed from the heart pulse of the neck. This is a city in ruins, a bridge of ache, nausea, jaundice. Houses filled with netting, windows drawn to keep out the dark silence, the hot rhythm of insects touching the glass, the first child who walked through the door, bright fingernails scratches on her arms, face, her fever, her flush. Two, period of remission. In the house, a man brings a bowl to the table. The children watch the bowl fill with water, watch a jar empty of leeches, how each one unfurls like a rotten tongue. In the bowl, four tongues suspended, unanswerable. Each girl hooks to them, their skin a raspberry bruise, ingested, sunburn, rope sting, switch whip, tongues and the subtle suck of fine hair and flesh. In the bowl, a mosquito dabs the water, glances rim, table, wooden spoon, pale scalp. For a while, the children taste rain, wildflower, sugared bread. For a while, there is no fever, no fire beneath the skin. Three, period of intoxication. Come holy, the hands anointing the collapsed star of the face tongue, a house filled with candles, frozen breath, soon delirium, the fevered sight, the body lit to ash, suffering, 
The body, a flamed branch, dead field. Come hemorrhage, seizure, fingers bird wild, violet. Come assemble the last flight, the sun's quiet compass. The mosquito that brushes eyelid, collarbone, bruises the blood. The fever made of tender wings, water, dusk. Come lay down and sleep, the body's bright tulip flush. And I did tab my book. <laughs> Kim went around, but I'm very type A. Um, ask anyone. This is um, decorating the tombs, All Saints Day. And this is actually after a really interesting wood engraving by John Durkin from 1885. I did a large amount of history um, research when I wrote this book. I actually did probably more research than I actually did writing. Um, it took me about two years to write this book, but probably like 80% of that was research. And All Saints Day, especially in New Orleans, is the ritual is very strange. I think very strange because it's not normal behavior, um, but I think it's also very beautiful. The families will go to the above ground tombs and they will actually have lunch um, at the graves. Um, you don't really see that now, but the wood engraving like actually depicts tables and like picnic baskets and pudding and all kind of stuff, which I found once again creepy, but really awesome. All right, so this is decorating the tombs All Saints Day. We bring our bread and fall flowers, a table spread with rust linen, forks, and plates. We bring paper crowns, a sheaf of wheat, press each against whitewashed tombs, offer our prayers, our baskets of harvest, yellow chrysanthemums, red coxcombs, wreaths of black glass beads. Keepsakes in the glow of our children's hands, fields of candlelight, lamp oil, the distant burst of lightning. Each stone a vessel we bring our mouths to, touch and whisper, wipe clear of lichen, soot. Around us the city blurs in dusk, low blue between the coliseum of houses, men with their carts of ice, tomatoes. We lift our spoons of pudding and don't speak of the rising river, fevers, how soon the damp earth will shudder our eyes, dredge the backs of our throats. How soon, too, the night will come, the rats for our crumbs, the water, the ruin for our tender bones. And I need a drink. I'm very thirsty. I'm so tired. I've been up since like 6 o'clock in the morning um, and I flew here from Houston. I'm so happy to be here, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but doesn't flying make you so dehydrated? Like, beyond belief? <clears throat> okay. This is Mayan. And Mayan was Louis Armstrong's mother. You know who I'm talking about? Louis Armstrong, the jazz great. This was his mother. His mother was actually a prostitute. And... Um, she actually, at some point, relinquished him to the custody of his grandmother, temporarily. Man. Fat-fingered, you clutch the dark ring of my breast while the gulf sheds its august steam into the streets. For a while, I kept you in the drawer next to my slips and stockings. For a while, I stood at the doorway, skirt lifted to show smooth calf, ankle, knee, while you slept, your lips sucking in the red-lighted air of Perdido Street. What life I give you, the music of streetcars, hailstones, sex, the unfamiliar voices of men, chair scrape, the drum of belt buckles hitting the floor. Dear son, do not remember me holding hats, trousers, my legs open to the cracked ceiling. Instead, think of my magnolia hair, the blossom of my body on your tongue. Years from now, empty your lung full of notes into the bird-blackened streets. Somewhere in a leaf-thickened courtyard, I will be rubbing a man out of my clothes and listening to you, your trumpet mouth filled with my name, this shotgun stoop echoing the river-licked sky. And this next poem actually 
goes back, it's a hybrid of two stories, which a lot of homes are hybrids of, of stories, which is why I teach my own students, the I is not always the I. Um, so for those of you who don't write poetry, remember that. Tattoo it on your brain. Um, this is Washerwoman 1917, and even though my paternal grandparents, um, the Rosellis, lived in New Orleans. I don't know exactly what they did over like 150 years ago, um, but my adoptive mom, her mother, um, way, way, way back, um, used to wash clothes when she was a young woman, and her sister would do the ironing, and back then, of course, it was horrible hot work, and they would wash clothes for um, rich people, and it was really gross. And so I kind of made a hybrid of this um, narrative, which is sort of like a hybrid of my own narrative. So Washerwoman 1917. In the imagined photograph of my great-grandmother Roselli, she holds a tub of a rich woman's clothes, the dark silks and blood-darkened rags, as she must have in those days under the Louisiana sun, as so many like her, immigrant-tongued, olive-skinned, held out buckets of wash for a camera or for the sister with them to take inside for the ironing. In this photograph, she is like the water that darkens with a week's worth of dirt and sweat, the water falling from her red-scraped knuckles back into the tin bucket, splashing the grass. Soon she will return to kneel into a family's linens and buttons, the washboard, the morning light that burns its pale reed into her face. Soon she will carry home her aches and sour perfume, carbolic soap, powdered soda, a pot of red beans cooking on a stove. This next poem, Wind Prayer, has a really interesting lore, if you will, behind it. Um, as so many things about New Orleans have lore attached to it. But I particularly like this one, um, being from also the Gulf Coast with hurricanes and whatnot. Um, some, you know, of course, very terrible. The idea is to take a piece of blessed Eucharist, put it in a baggie, you put it in your freezer, and when a hurricane comes, you actually throw it into the wind and hope for the wind to abate, um, which is actually called a wind prayer. And I would like to see someone do that. Um, so I was really imagining about, you know, what that would be like to take the blessed Eucharist, which, you know, you're not supposed to throw um, into the wind um, in hopes that, you know, the hurricane will go away. Um, we should try that sometime. So this is wind prayer. Tell me how to speak to suffering, where to toss the slivers of a body already broken. For months I have imagined this riotous nature, leaves pulled from banana trees, the black swelled tide. Which storm do I bless with a frozen cross? Which one do I open the door or window to? Offer handfuls of my prayers. I am preparing myself for weeping grasses, a future that collects a city of drinking instant coffee from styrofoam, emergency candles. I empty the bag of this ruin on the counter next to the mail and apples, hold each piece to the afternoon light. I wait for the sky to burst into flame or downpour. How bound I am by the water with the memory or fear of a roof peeled back, the plastic xylophone chime of a garbage can twisting down the street, a hand feeding slivers of bread into the swarm. I have two more. This next one, um, I read it sometimes. I, I'm afraid that it's hard to follow because it's in fragments. Um, but it is a narrative. And it's called Fragments of an Aftermath. And this is sort of like a history of the uglier moments after Hurricane Katrina. But it really focuses on one event in which there was a man who was waiting with his younger brother um, outside of a store. They were not looting and they were thought to be looting because they were black by a police officer who shot the young man. He was probably about, I think, 20. Shot the young man, 
then he realized that he wasn't looting, he didn't have stolen property, and to cover it up, they put the young man in the, um, um, they stole a car, put the young man in the stolen car, drove it to the levee, shot him through the windshield, and set the car on fire. And all the men have now been convicted, but it took a really long time to be convicted. And, you know, I saw a documentary on this, and of course I had followed this story after uh, Katrina. And, you know, Houston, where I live, we had um, 30,000 people um, that still live there. We actually had more, but we have 30,000 that still live there. And I've heard really ugly things by people that go home and you don't deserve to be here. And, you know, it really makes me upset as a human being to, to hear those and think about these stories. So this is fragments of an aftermath and fragments being uh, the appropriate thing here. So this is actually a found home, I need to say. If you don't know what a found home is, it's basically you take language from other sources, such as like news articles or whatnot, and you piece it together to make a poem. So the sources are in the back of the book, but this is a found home. Fragments of an aftermath. He was laying like he was in a running position. Police need to stick together, Alec Brown testified. They were all animals and they deserved to be shot. They were all destroying the city. She asked him to blink his eyes. We have authority by martial law to shoot looters, one officer shouted into the rotary-bladed air. Outside a Rite Aid, a woman on a bicycle tells a reporter, I'm a diabetic. I need test strips, insulin. It hasn't been on ice. This person in the car on the levee, a roadway flare was tossed into the car. A gun was fired into the windshield at the body. I was kind of thinking if they saw us on the ground, they wouldn't shoot us. A black cloud of smoke billowed behind them. He looked through the window and could see that Oakwood Shopping Center was in flames. Take the city back and shoot to kill was heard over the dispatch system more than once. Inside the scorched sedan, black ashes and bone, a charred skull, shards of rib. We looted a store because we had no food and we had to do something. If you can sleep with it, do it. Do you support the death penalty for minor thefts? Carrying toothpaste, toothbrushes, mouthwash, a man stares into the camera. All of this is personal hygiene. I ain't getting nothing to get drunk or high with. Do what you have to do. No, the man shouted, that's everybody's store. In a state of occupation, ordinary citizens are turned into enemies and corpses. I forgive these men, said Edna Glover, still holding a picture of her son. At some point, you lost your compass. I've got to get back to my children, she said. I've got to get back to my children. And the last poem I'm going to read, if I can get it, okay. Actually, I'm sorry, there's two. But they're they're short. Okay, the, um, sort of these are like the thesis poems of the book. One was the original title of the book, which is "The City That Care Forgot," which is an old nickname for New Orleans. And then the last one I'm going to read is called "Why New Orleans." The city that care forgot. What brings you back is the sugared air that seeps its way through the streets. The scrolled iron balconies, banana-leaved courtyards, gas lamps draped with bright plastic beads. Not the water-stained drywall, crushed fence, the X-marked houses. Not the ruin of mosquito fever, flood, the history of bodies hung by the neck in trees. But how the river collects daylight, the sound of trumpets in late afternoon. You return to this humid sweep, the second lines of handkerchiefs, magnolia in every scene. Long ago, this was the city that care forgot, mold scarred, splintered chairs washing upstream. A city of tents, of wind-wrapped shutters, shotgun houses. What brings you back? The city turns its umbrellas in the sun, lights fire for rue. What calls you? The music of a gate opening onto Chapatula Street, chicory heat, the roof tiles in the black sky, the water, the rising. 
This last poem is Why New Orleans. Because after I left you standing on the balcony of your apartment, the humidity entering my body as a whisper might, I knew the city would follow me back to my own city of strip malls and bayous, of parking lots and a neighborhood of noisy children. Because when I watched you bend to pick up tangles of bright beads in a potted palm, watched the afternoon sweep across a courtyard of banana trees, watched the feral cats rattle garbage bins as a gate swung open, then closed and open again, I loved the ruin of the cracked porch, the swampy stink of summer in my hair, the coffee and fried dough, and yes, even the palmetto bugs that hid just under the window. Because this was too much to hold, the dark oaks, the saxophone, that I had to write it down, carry it with me. I wanted to remember its flame, its color of smoke, easing out of doorways into the heart of an alley. I wanted to place its language on my tongue and taste what was missing. Thank you. Okay, so Amanda and Kim will now take any questions that you guys might have. I have two questions right off the bat. <laughs> Do we have to stay up here? Yeah, come on up. Seriously? Okay, yeah. Okay. Just for a few moments. Just okay. for a few moments. That's fine. Can I, can I start the question? Mortification. I have a question for Amanda. How do you, how do you uh, create profound poems? In other words, how do you know where to pull from, and do you pull random you know, things that you see in newspapers and magazines and then form the story, or are you looking? Um, well, in the course of this poem, I knew the story I wanted to tell, and which was about this man and about the ugly events after Katrina. And so I started doing research, and I knew that I wanted to find things that actually had a certain sound of language to it that wasn't just completely dry and boring, because no one would care. And so it was kind of a little bit of both. I mean, I had the idea in mind, but I really did do a lot of reading and did do a lot of pulling from random sources, um, you know, internet things, um, actual newspaper, magazines, you know, sayings that I saw, you know, on signs, you know, when I would go back and forth to New Orleans and just kind of patchworked it together to make it cohesive. Did you get like all the things you thought you might want to say and then delete, 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 you know, to form it, to get it tightened down? I, so sort of, sort of. Um, I tried to keep the integrity of what I was using, um, but of course you can't use everything because it's going to be like, you know, 150 pages. <laughs> um, so I did do a lot of whittling down. So beautiful. I've never Thank you. Before. Thank you. I have one, one more question and I'll let you guys have <laughs> Kim, when you yeah. submitted all of your poems to the publisher, did you submit a certain amount and then they choose, or how, how does that work? For the book? Yes, for the book. No, you submit the manuscript as a whole, and then they either select it or don't. And they so, did. Yeah. And everything was in there? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Any other questions? Any other questions? Kim, is your book available yeah. It is. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you guys for coming out. Thank you. Yay. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.